All right. Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the entertainment, culture, and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media. We talk television, film, we talk dance, we talk musical instruments, no stones left unturned. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleiman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Payton Mormeyer Gordon III. Take it away, George. Thank you, Dave. You're, you're, you're getting better at these every week. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. This is like always a good time. Uh, as I like to say, a good hang, Dave Kleiman, a great hang. That's the ultimate compliment. Thank you, George. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Dave, what we got in store this week, we've got one of my favorite people on the interwebs. He's an actor. He's a comedian. He's a writer. Just a creator of awesome content. Jake Cornell. And we're going to be talking about celebrity couples and party games. But before we get to all that, how are you? Oh, I'm super duper, George. <laughs> um, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't sell it. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, you just stick the landing. <laughs> All right, I'll work on that. I'm good. We went and saw The Roots last week in Prospect Park. Nice. They were incredible. I mean, I don't have to talk about that. Everybody who knows The Roots knows their unbelievable live act. Uh, but it gives me an opportunity to, to uh, share with you, George, uh, something that you you really like, which is misheard lyrics. And uh, for me, one of the Roots' biggest hits is also like one of my biggest like misheard lyrics that I thought for like ten years uh, was the, was like a different lyric. And of course, it's the song "You Got Me." And you know, the chorus is uh, "If you were worried about where I've been or who I saw or." What club I went to with my homies, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, well, I thought for many, many years <laughs> that it was, if you were worried about where I've been the whole last hour, <laughs> what club I went to with my homies, baby, don't worry, you know that you got me. Uh, it, it still kind of makes sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this, this, this mystery lyric. Uh, but but yeah, I thought that for like many years. Because it doesn't affect the song in, in either way. Like uh no, because it still works. It still works. Yeah, yeah. My buddy, <laughs> my buddy's uh sister, shout out to Jen, always thought that evil woman was medieval woman, and now I can't unhear yeah. medieval woman. Yeah, that yeah. No, I mean you're I think you're okay. That's okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, now I, I just hear the correct the correct uh lyrics. Uh also, really quickly, I was talking about the roots, uh talking about going to the show with uh some co-workers of mine who happened to be like 22 and 23. And I was like, Yeah, we went and saw the roots. And one of them was like, Who? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're old, Dave. It's okay. Yeah. Embrace it. Lean into it's it. It's okay. I I yeah, I am. I'm leaning in. Um, yeah, lean all the way into it. Speaking of leaning in, George, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I uh, did stand up. Nice little set. Shout out to the folks at Mama Tried for having a comedy show when they're a little back there. Um, good bit of people. A lot of drinks to be had. Uh, I fell asleep on the couch listening to Living Color, so I had a great night. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but I was like, I got to work out some new jokes, and we'll we'll see. We'll see how the, the how, how things open up, and like. Maybe we'll start maybe booking some more shows because I forgot that I like doing stand-up. So it is what it is. Awesome. Well, everybody keep your eyes and ears peeled. Yeah, yeah. What's the deal? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's all your humor now. That's all that's your all humor. my humor is now. <laughs> yeah. You just you just do a Seinfeld like 1992 like act. Before we open the bar, that was like real quick, it was like I think that was the most amount of tequila shots I've had before I went on stage. Wow. 
I hesitate to ask how many. It, it, it was like three. There was like a oh, tequila okay. person walking around. There was like a Hornitos rep. It was like, free tequila shot? I was like, sure. <laughs> and then after the second one, you're like, well, let's keep them coming. Let's go. Like, I mean, if you're going to be walking around with them. Yeah, it was like, get on stage. You're like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so great set. I, it was good. It was a good time. But I think that's enough of me. Let's go and open this bar. Let's do it. So today on Tab, we're going to be talking about the August 6th Nas album release, King's Disease 2, uh, which we both have been listening to and enjoying. Um, then we're going to talk about Netflix docuseries Untold Malice at the Palace, which we all watched. And we're going to do a little mini segment, Pod People, in which we talk about some podcasts that we're, that we're both enjoying. Um, uh, but first, let's talk about the August 6th Nas album. Uh, came out two weeks ago. Uh, it sold 50,000 uh, units in the, the first week. It debuted at number two in the Billboard charts, which is his highest debut. And Nas has been in the game since 90. Who knows? So that's kind of cool. Uh, what did you think of the album? Um, that's interesting. To I didn't know any of that that financial stuff or, or uh, any of that, yeah. that stuff. Uh, that's interesting. His biggest debut, yeah. That's interesting to know because I think it's probably one of his better records in the last you know 10 years or whatever. Um, not that, like, I like most of his records, but I think this one is really good. Uh, widespread acclaim on the interwebs awesome. that I read this morning. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hot <laughs> um, for lack of a better word. One of the tracks that I like, one of the early tracks that I got stuck on and just like listened to over and over again is uh, EPMD two <laughs> um, where he brought back Eric, Eric sermon, Eric and Parrish, Eric sermon and Parrish Smith. Um, and the, the hook of that song is EPMD. We back in business. I visualize what it is, not what it isn't. We at the mafia table next to the kitchen eating Michelin yeah. star counting a million. Like, yeah, no, I, I it's, I was thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed all of that. The, uh, I love when rappers who are older are like talking about things that like, that actually is more applicable to their life. Now he has a lyric that he's like, I got a Peloton to work on my core. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course she did. Of course she did. Yeah. <laughs> And, and like rappers that have been around forever, like he has a line, like, do you remember how you felt the first time you heard some crazy shit that Nas said or something? Like, I don't know. I'm butchering right. the line, but yeah, really good. I yeah, know. I mean, the standout tracks for me are uh, EPMD2, of course, uh, 40 Side. Um, um, the, I like the Nobody with Lauren Hill, but I just prefer her verse over his. And then like for me, the standout, standout track is Store Run, which samples Shop the Bell. Shot the bells by members of the the staff. This is an R&B group from the seventies called Members of Staff. I tried to find the the single on uh on the interwebs for vinyl. It was forty five dollars, and I was like, I think I'll sit that one out. <laughs> anyway, you know, Store One is the one that stands out to me because it sounds like a nineties Nas song. I was kind of blown away how good it was. I've already listened to it like eight times this morning. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. I also love Store Run. It does have a lot. Uh, throughout the album, it does have a lot of early Nas vibes, a lot of jazziness, a lot of horns. Yeah, a lot of horns. Yeah, um, really good, man. And that Lauren Hill verse, like, I am complete. I I believe that she's one of the top ten rappers who's ever. She's me she's melting brains on that on that verse. She's, I was like, what? she's, she's incredible, and like to hear her rap again. Yeah, because people like a lot of people don't even know she was a rapper, and like, Correct, she's, yeah. like one of the best ever. Yeah, um, I know, she's phenomenal. So yeah. Nas's album King's Disease 2. I like this so much. I think I'm gonna go try to see him in concert next next month. He's playing at Forest Hills. Queens, yeah. shout out. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. You got the Mets hat ready. I do, ready for the Mets hat. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, the next thing on tap, we're going to be talking about Untold Malice at the Palace. Um, uh, this is a docuseries on Netflix. Uh, the first episode premiered, which is uh, Malice at the Palace, which Dave and I will not remember where we were when that happened. Um, uh, it was by the creators of Wild Wild Country. Did you watch that? I did. I also really enjoyed that as well. Okay. I didn't watch that, but I, I I feel like I'm in a minority, and I feel like that those that that series was unbelievable. It, it petered out a little bit for me. Like the first ones are a little more interesting than the last ones, but it's well done, and, right. and it's definitely interesting. So, Mouse of the Palace, go. What do you what do you think? Wow. So it's really okay. So just uh for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with this this event, the, what is known as the Malice at the Palace. It took place at the sports arena called the Palace at Auburn Hills in Detroit or outside of Detroit where the Pistons play. And it was a game between the Detroit Pistons and the Indiana Pacers. And what year was this, George? 2000 and... It's before I moved to New York. So I want to say it's 2004. That sounds right. I was in college. I was at a bar watching it live. Um, George, I know you were also at a bar watching it. Or yeah, I was at a bar watching it for sure. Uh, it was one of those things where everybody stopped what they were doing and like just was you know f- kind of flipping out um because it started as a on court kind of chippy dust up after a hard-ish foul um after a hard you could maybe say unnecessary foul by Ron Artest Metal World Peace <laughs> on Ben Wallace and they got into it and then the fans got involved and the players went up in the state in the stands and had fights with the fans. And it was like a fucking melee and it was really fucking terrifying for a good stretch there. Yeah. This documentary does a really great job at letting the players tell their side of the story because there was a lot of spin Mm -hmm. and this became an, this was a national story. Like even if you're not a basketball fan, you may remember this happening uh, because you know, the fucking political talking heads and, and politicians and, and all sorts of fucking people picked up on this and they started, you know, calling these players thugs and, and that they're out of control and all this fucking bullshit. And also like the documentary does a good job to in showing that uh, David Stern, the commissioner at the time also had like this, clamp down response of like oh i'm gonna blame the players and we're gonna punish the players and everyone's gonna be happy with that uh but when you when you hear from some of the players involved specifically jermaine o'neill uh artest and and uh stephen jackson stephen jackson um who were like the main people involved you really get a sense of like what happened and, and and like you know these fans and this atmosphere that's present at these sporting events is fucking dangerous. And these players are like trying to protect themselves. And yeah, I don't know. The documentary was, is, is very enlightening. George, what did you, I know this is a big, uh, the big thing for you. Yeah, no, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I cheated a little bit though. I listened to Jermaine O'Neal on a podcast. Uh, He was interviewed by Ryan Rossillo on his podcast a week before talking about the documentary. And uh, I've actually never heard Jermaine O'Neal talk. He sounds lovely. Yeah. Like, why wasn't this guy like the face of this league? Because he just he was just like very engaging, really good on TV. So going into those was like, I'm I'm here to hear Jermaine O'Neill tell it on this uh, this on this documentary. And again, he just he's fantastic. So much so that like I'm like I really want this guy to have like another career in which he's on television all the time. Um, uh, the the stuff the fallout of it I forgot. The that's when they changed the dress code. So for our listeners who like. 
the no, the NBA, like after this, 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 the, the mouse of the palace this is a terrible name. How about like fans is like wilding out is what they should probably call it. It's like yeah, after fans being shitty, fans being shitty. It's like, yeah. uh, they, they, they like, they instituted a dress code for these players. And, uh, which I mean, in essence, like the underlying thing about this was race and racism, which is like something that like you forget that it happened. Just it seems like a billion years ago, but it's still in the two thousands. Yeah, and it was coded language of 100%. like you know, the hip hop generation, right, right, right. right. Like, you know, the hip hop of hip hopification or whatever the fuck they would say of the NBA, and like that was all tied to racism. Yeah. Um, of course, as we as we know, it's really good. So shout out to the guys from Wild Wild Country. Uh, Untold Mouse of the Palace. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Seconded about Jermaine O'Neal. Also, uh, just really quickly, I recommend the the documentary that was done on Ron Artest from a few years ago, or also, I guess he's known as Meta World Peace now, uh, Quiet Storm, which is very good. And they, they go into it as well, and they kind of tell his his side of the story as well, and you kind of get a sense of like, oh, there was a lot more going on there. All right, Dave, finally, we're going to do a little mini segment, maybe like a half pour or something, and not a full pour. I was like, I figured out how we're going to do that. Little tasters. Little tasters. And we're going to talk about some pod people, and we're going to talk about podcasts that we're both enjoying. And a podcast that I have been enjoying is called Gene and Roger, and is about the relationship and uh, of with uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. And uh, they go back. They they worked for rival papers in Chicago. You probably like attest this more than I can. And then they, they got this TV show, and then they became like like rivals who became friends. And any show that you see, whether it's PTI or they owe a bit of gratitude to the Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert show from the from the the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And I want to talk about this one story that I that I found to be really really interesting. Uh, they were talking about how much they loved uh, "Do the Right Thing," and they both saw it at Con and uh, as Can Con Con Can uh, whatever the place <laughs> in France. They both saw it at Con, and I was like, I had never heard the story. And they were they were such advocates for that independent filmmakers and like uh, diversity. And one thing that Roger Ebert said that I kind of struck me and I was like, Oh, wow. I didn't realize that he said that on TV because you would never thought to say, I would have never thought that a a man would have said that. And he said, it was like, Hollywood is okay with racism. If they're talking about talking about it from a time long ago. So like glory, they're okay with and uh, driving Miss Daisy. They're okay with, but they're not okay with seeing racism. Like that's like what it is now. What, which is why I do the right thing. It's such an important movie for people to watch. And that blew my fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you if that was about do the right thing because I he was a a champion of that movie when a lot of critics were like, right, had, right. had racist reactions. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, and, and were scared scared of it. Uh, and he was a champion of Spike Lee and, and of that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so shout out to the Gene and Roger podcast. I think it's amazing. The last episode is uh, next week, so try to find it i believe it's uh on i think it's spotify exclusive dave what what podcast do you want to talk about um that's awesome as a as a born and raised chicagoan and a and a devotee of of siskel and ebert uh i'm very excited to, to listen to that um the one the podcast that i am like obsessed with right now is uh, a story podcast it's called firebug you can get it wherever you stream podcasts apple podcasts spotify all that jazz. And it is by some of the same people that have done a number of podcasts uh, in the true crime area. Also, they've done TV shows. They were uh, some of the people behind the HBO docuseries, The Jinx, about Robert Durst. And they've also mm-hmm. doing a podcast about his ongoing trial. Uh, and and uh, that's Mark Smerling. And the host of this one is Carrie Antholis. And it's fucking fascinating. It's about a 
arsonist in California in, I believe, like the 80s and 90s, a suspected arsonist, I'll say, because it's it's ongoing. They haven't uh, they haven't we, we don't I don't know it, you know, how it ends, um, but a suspected arsonist that wrote a manuscript of a novel about an arsonist <laughs> and and like in detail described all these fires. Oh, and guess what? They also may be a fire investigator. <laughs> um, it's insane because like, apparently there's a thing where like a lot of arsonists are like firemen or like fire inspectors or fire sure, yeah. because that that's like, they're drawn to it. And this shit is it's, and it's also like, if you've heard any of their other podcasts, uh, crime town specifically is one that I really love. They're so well-produced and like the sound design is really good. And it's like, you're, you're like really, uh, left wanting the next one and wanting more so firebug right on i give that a go shout out to the movie backdraft <laughs> <laughs> yes dude it's so cool it's so interesting and just just hearing them like describe the fucking devices that arsonists use like i had no idea you know i it, it's just really crazy it's really interesting really really interesting really well done uh very exciting firebug all right man well i think we're all tapped out let's go talk to jake all right, here is that. Hi. Hi. How y'all doing? Good. How's it going? Good. Yes. Hi, Jake. Um, so I'm Mary Bess. It's wonderful to meet you. And nice to meet you. These are our beautiful hosts, Dave Kleinman and George Gordon. Hello, Jake. Hi. We're so happy to have you. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. We were uh, just talking about uh, the White Lotus video you uh, posted yesterday. Oh, God. <laughs> George and I are those people that are going to be like, it's so good. You need to watch it. <laughs> okay, great. Good, good, good. I've had plenty of that and I'm ready for more. Yeah. And I also haven't seen it. So you and I are in the same boat. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm not alone. Good. I'm not alone. Yeah. You are not alone. Not at all. I, I came so close to starting it this morning and then I had to go get lunch. So I didn't. <laughs> That's as, that's as good a reason as any. You must you must eat. Yeah. You need food. But I understand that because like I sometimes uh, I want to wait till like the party has like died off, you know, even though I know that like I'm going to love it. And you even like, 100%. you know, you're going to love it. <laughs> I did the same thing with Mayor of Easttown where every, it, like if people come in too hot, too fast, I shut down. Yeah. And then with Mayor, it was like with Mayor, it was like I realized it was becoming clear to me. I was like, oh, it's going to, the second the finale drops, like it's the spoilers will be unavoidable. So I watched all of it in like two days before the finale to be like, I, I actually do want to like, know, have like the experience of watching the show. Um, and that was fun in its own way. Yeah, George is, George is a fan. I am. Uh, uh, I'm a fan of your TikTok too. It's, it's Mayor. It's not Mayor. <laughs> it's not. Yes. <laughs> that is, I would say that TikTok like is maybe the most has like the greatest gap between how much I love it and how um, well it did on the internet. <laughs> like it's, it's not a popular one, but for that one is like really near and dear to my heart. We both appreciated it. Thank you. Especially George is a fan, fan of those accents. So he loves anytime. Uh, Mayor of Easttown comes. Oh up. yeah, those accents are delicious. So Jake, uh, Dave, and I we started this podcast because we basically were two bartenders who didn't really have a whole lot going on as far as like work goes during the pandemic. And I totally. And I found uh, your one of your videos because a friend of mine in LA sent it to me. Uh, the the Chef Keith video, the Chef Keith TikTok that you did. Oh 
kind of blew my mind uh so much to the point where i was like this guy is amazing and we got to have him on our our podcast in fact i know nothing about tiktok you're the only person on tiktok that i actually enjoy watching thank so, you we, we're, we're super <laughs> stoked to have you so uh so I, I listened to you on a podcast and you've been working in the service industry just like me and dave for like since you were 18 so when you skewer these people on tiktok do they know that you're making fun of them because it's very clear that you know what you're talking about yeah that's maybe one of the weirdest parts about all of everything that's happened is getting fans who don't get that i'm not one of them like people like i i get a lot of comments that are like oh my god this is me and i'm like it shouldn't be like, <laughs> like <laughs> and that's definitely like a really bizarre phenomenon like for sure is like watching people not I, so I sometimes it's clear that they understand they're being made fun of and love that. And then other times I think people think I'm like making fun of myself and they're like in on it with me. And I'm like, so I'm like, so that's not what's happening. Just to be very clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very clear that that's uh, you have worked in the restaurant industry and like we were talking, it's kind of like a wink and a nod to those people who have those experiences as well. And, and it, it speaks to how good it is that those people don't know that you're making fun of them. Some of them, you know, <laughs> that's a very nice way of viewing it. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, what is it about that relate those relationships that you have when you work in the service industry that you, that stick out to you and you're like, Oh, I'm going to mind this for humor. Um, I think it's like, yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing this. I started I started working in my first food service job was I was a, I worked at a Ben and Jerry's. I've been doing this since I was like 16. Cause I was first a Ben and Jerry's scooper, which is honestly bartending with ice cream. It's like not, no different as a job <laughs> in terms of like what you do. Um, but I guess like it's noticing trends. Like it's not, it's not something that happens at like one specific table or with one specific guest. Usually it's when I start to notice that I'm getting really annoyed with something at work and then I'm like, oh, that's because this is like a behavior that's being repeated. So I can make fun of, I can like make a, I can do that as a character. Like I've, now that I've figured out what the behavior is behind this annoying thing that's happening constantly, I can like do this. Yeah. Well, and there's so many words like, you know, like words that are just triggering to me, like, uh, and or phrases like the one where, where uh, you have, you're playing an obnoxious customer and you end it by being like, and what is orange wine? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that one's that one was pretty brutal. Yeah, so, that. do you? I'm assuming you work somewhere that serves orange wine. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I get I get that all the time. I ha like depending on my mood, I have uh, a different spiel, you know. <laughs> totally. Yeah, there's you have your different like yeah. the, there's like because some people it's like an innocent it's it's innocent and 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 like they just actually want to know, and some people just want to like they want to pretend like there's you know I don't know what it is exactly, but yeah, people I. You can smell it when the difference between someone being like, hi, I'm interested in learning and someone being like, dance monkey. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, <laughs> yeah, yes. the two different versions of asking yeah. that question or any question really. So Jake, in our research about you, we, we, we found out you're from Vermont, you went to University of Vermont. Describe to us for that transition from like the theater person that is now like this, this is my favorite person on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, the transition from theater person? Like, like being like, just like growing up in Vermont, being very much in the theater and then kind of going into the, oh, sure. the stardom. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of theater in high school in Vermont, in rural Vermont. So it wasn't like, it wasn't any, it was like 
little community theater productions and like high school productions. It wasn't anything fancy. And I was kind of, I was very afraid. I, I, I think I always knew I wanted to be an actor and a comedian, but I was afraid to say that. And so I went to UVM and I started, I studied film theory, which is um, useless. And I was just kind of like figuring it out. I really was like just wanting to get out of like my small town and find like live life because I had grown up, you know, I was the only, I didn't have like a lot of gay people around me growing up. I felt lived like in a very, not sheltered by my family. Like I didn't have like overproductive family, but like I was definitely sheltered by my surroundings and my experience. And so when I went to college, I really just wanted to live and get out there. And so I found this program where you could study abroad for a year for free, essentially. It was like an exchange program. They shut it down the year after I did it because I think they realized it was too good. Like <laughs> I um, but I lived in England for a year. And because I was there for a year, I got work right. Like I had a work visa and they, I got a job as a bartender because I need it. Cause I um, have never been good at saving money in my life. So I was like, I went to England with not enough money to live two weeks, let alone a year. So I was like, well, I got to get a job. And so I did bartending and that was how I became a bartender. You know, I, and I kind of did the pitch of like, well, I've been an ice cream scooper for two years and it's really the same gig with a different product, which is truly true. And I did it and like fell in love with it. That was, I was bartending there at like a dive bar um, like a divey pubby bar. And that's honestly, to this day, probably my favorite kind of bartending is like unpretentious speed schmoozing, like vibes bartending. I, I work at like kind of a fancy place now. And honestly, like, I love the people. I love the place, but like, I'm known as the person they're like, what do you want to garnish it with? And I'm like, Oh, I don't give a shit. Like, I truly just like, <laughs> I, I don't like any of the, the yeah. stuff of it. And, um, but yeah, so I, I did that for a long time. And then that just was my gig. You know, I, when I got back to America, I kept bartending. And then when I decided to move to New York and do comedy, I was like, I'll pay my bills doing bartending. And that's just like what I've always done. And I used to keep it really separate, like, because I think, and I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way, but I really used to view bartending as a thing. And, you know, to an extent, this is still true, but it's like bartending is a thing I have to do to make ends meet while I'm also pursuing this thing I love, you know? And it's not that I don't love bartending, but um, I love it in a different way. And I, I viewed it as this thing that was kind of the antithesis to my comedy. Bartending was the thing I had to do on my like off hours to then also to be able to live life and go do comedy in my free time. And it really didn't occur to me that I could do comedy about it or like kind of even acknowledge that I was a bartender in my comedy until, you know, the pandemic hit and I wasn't a comedian anymore because there was no comedy. There was no, there was no shows. There was no auditions. There was no, nothing was shooting. It was like, um, I mean, for, there was the three months, there was like the two or three months there where we were just all sitting at home. And then I was like in a restaurant and I was back to the place I'd been before the pandemic. And we were hustling hard. It was like the heart, it was hard fucking work. And I don't know if if you guys are working like in restaurants last summer, but um, George was. Yeah, I mean, like a specific subsect of humanity came out that summer and was just like really unreal. And I started making videos out of like it was like the first time I was making comedy that wasn't trying to like 
I wasn't like, what would be the next big thing or like, what would be really good or something? I was just like, I need to, I'm going to make a video about how fucking crazy everyone's acting. Um, Mm -hmm. And it worked. And then that lent itself to like, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I've been on my, what I viewed as my like non-comedy hours dealing with the most absolutely fucking psychotic people in the city for like 40 hours a week. So let me kind of interrogate that. And also realizing that there were a ton of people out there who had also had all these experiences that wanted to laugh about them. Um, It was really fun. And then that kind of lent itself to doing comedy that's not about bartending and not, and like it kind of expanded the world and stuff. And it just helped me kind of find a way it, yeah, I figured out a way to, talk about things and analyze things and celebrate things and make fun of things in all these like new ways that all kind of came out of being pushed to my breaking point last summer. <laughs> yeah. I, that a lot of that resonates with me for sure. Um, I, uh, I know slightly more about TikTok than George does, uh, but only, only just, only just slightly. I know zero, but will <laughs> you, what, what has uh, like that ride been like as far as, I mean, I don't know if you, was it just kind of a, a convenience thing of like, this is the app that people are doing these kind of videos? On or? Well, I, I started on Instagram, like my first for like the first, like four or five, six months I was doing it. It was all Instagram. Um, and I was like an avid TikTok watcher for basically since like last beginning of 2020, I really got into watching TikTok and I made maybe like five, but not in any sort of like, I wouldn't even call them comedy videos. I just was really enjoying TikTok. And I was like, I think I made them kind of one to learn how the interface worked. I was just curious, like, what does making a TikTok look like on a technical level? And also just like, cause I was bored, but it wasn't any sort of, it wasn't like comedic. It was just like a little fun thing, I guess. But I was just watching it a lot and really enjoying it. But it all at that point, TikTok felt more. Um, there wasn't as much like written comedy material on it as there is now, and also it felt. If you think TikTok feels young now, like don't even you can't even imagine what it was like in early 2020 because I was like a dinosaur, <laughs> yeah. 27 years old, so. I it definitely I was like I kind of felt like I'm like uh, uh it was sort of the thing you know when you're in spaces where you're like I'm here to watch but I should not get up and perform do you know what I mean like this is not a space for me that's how TikTok kind of used to feel so I started making stuff on Instagram which was really really fun and then I had I think I I had a video that I made or I had an idea for a video that I was like I don't think this works on Instagram like the context of this on your Instagram feed would just be weird, but it kind of does make sense on TikTok. So I like threw it up on TikTok and then just that, like it did well, stuff started doing well. And then I was like, oh, I guess I have all these videos on Instagram that I could just go post on TikTok. They're already here. Like that's no work on my end. So I started posting stuff on TikTok more and it started to get a lot more momentum because TikTok has the ability to like build momentum in a way that Instagram just absolutely doesn't. And frankly, like even Twitter doesn't really have like things can go because the the mode of consumption on TikTok is you're watching stuff that from people you don't follow. It's like the algorithm is feeding you new content. So if the algorithm figures out that you've made something that people like, it gets out to a lot of people really quickly. And so then once I figured that out, I was, I kind of went all in on TikTok and I was also, I was unemployed. So I kind of was like, what if, what would it look like if I just made one a day for a while? And I made a TikTok a day for like three months, I think. 
um, which was really fun. Um, and I've learned a lot and it kind of just went from there. And, you know, I try not to view it as like a job because it's, I mean, it's not, I don't get paid for it. So it is like by definition, not a job. Um, but I, I try not to like think about it too seriously. I just, it's really fun. Um, and I started going back and posting stuff from it on Instagram later. And now I kind of just post everything on both and it kind of has crossed over into the two different platforms. And is there like some sense of community on it? Like, or is it just kind of like a, yeah, I, it's let it's, I mean, I always say the comment section is the funniest part of TikTok. Like usually comments of videos are oftentimes funnier than the TikToks themselves. Like the comment sections on TikTok are unreal. Um, so I definitely like read the comments and laugh. I don't know that I like, you don't really get in terms of like with your followers, there's not like a page where people are commenting like on your profile and like being like your fan club or anything like that. So I wouldn't say like, I'm someone, I think there like, there are internet people who have like a name for their fans and stuff like that. Like, that's not me. That's not really how I feel about it. I kind of just like make videos and people watch them. Um, but I do, I have made like internet friends with other co comedians on TikTok and Instagram. And there's, there's definitely a community there of like DMing people and being like, Hey, I feel like we really like each other stuff. And I've met up with some people in real life and like gotten drinks and like that has, there's definitely a community on that side of things for sure. Awesome. But and I, I guess there is a community among, especially because I do like repeated characters. So then it'll be like people will kind of comment within jokes from previous videos on the videos. And that's really fun to see people kind of like yeah. following along with the different characters and the different stories is really fun. Yeah. In the year that you've like, I guess we're watching TikToks to, to now, do you still enjoy being on TikTok watching TikToks as much as you used to? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. I definitely watch a too fucking much TikTok. But <laughs> like it's definitely a wildly different app than it was a year, a year and a half ago. It's just so much more popular. You know, like all the celebrities are on it now. Like if if I had a year and a half ago been scrolling on TikTok and a video of Jessica Chastain getting her makeup done for the Oscars came up, I'd be like, who leaked this? Like who what? Like this is not real. But now it's it's super mainstream. I mean there's sponsored ads and like the algorithm, it's not as like you know, TikTok used to feel like it had the energy of like ebombsworld.com, like random ass, like <laughs> buffering videos from 2005 that you're like, I don't know who filmed this. I don't know where they are. I don't know if the person in the video survived this, but like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like that was a lot of early TikTok or people just saying wild shit, making really funny, incisive observations. It was like very niche and now I'll, and this isn't me saying like old tiktok was better it was just different like it was just a very different vibe and now tiktok feels like one of the most like used platforms out there you know and so it definitely feels different um yeah we uh we share something in common this is based on a tiktok that you, i guess you did a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago is uh we both enjoy uh couples fighting in public who doesn't <laughs> i enjoyed it until i actually was fighting like in an argument with a as a couple in public have you got an argument as because uh, as a couple in public because that's where a little change for you if you once you do i mean like my boyfriend and i have never been we're not like yellers or anything like that like we're not gonna like get in like a screaming fight in public but like yeah i we've definitely like had a conversation that suddenly is like oh this is like a serious conversation we need to have and unfortunately it is just happening in like this on this bench like <laughs> um like i've definitely had those but luckily we're not really two like yellers like that are gonna no one's gonna stop and be like 
oh my God, look at these two people trying to use like healthy communication skills to get to a, to get to a resolution. Like it's not, I don't know that it's that entertaining of a fight, but we, I've definitely been like, we definitely had like a conversation outdoors the other day where I was like, after I posted that video where I was like, oh God, if anyone fucking sees me right now, <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, we've, we're not really fighters, but yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> Uh, that was one of those ones, though, for me that like made me laugh and cringe a lot because I just couldn't help but be put in that place of like being a bartender and not being able to get away from somebody's fucking argument at the bar. Yeah, that is the experience. That's something that people don't talk about is like the phenom- the tr- being trapped behind the bar. And it can sometimes be the greatest gift and it sometimes can be the ultimate curse because like as someone who is obsessed with other people's business and is like admittedly nosy and like just wants to know everything. Like the fact that you have an excuse to stand incredibly close to people while they're having like intimate conversations is somewhat of an absolute dream come true at times. But then also if things go bad and I would say a fight, I would find entertaining still. However, a bad first date that like lacks anything like at that point, I would like the restaurant to catch on fire. Yeah. I would prefer the restaurant catch on fire at that point. That is my freshest hell um, for certain. Yeah. After like Tinder date number three, I'm about ready to walk out. But like, I remember one time at one of my old gigs, oh, I could like smoke a cigarette thinking about this. It was like one of the best days of my life. A cup, A couple met up that were... And like, obviously morally, this is not great, but like I, this, I am not culpable in this. It was a man and a woman who were meeting to have a drink to strategize and negotiate the terms of them having an affair, like cheating on their partners and like how they were going to do it and like what the expectations were. And I, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it's like, you're watching like narrative drama written out, but in real life, it was like, on i can't even it was perfect yeah. <laughs> so good yeah that's definitely a memorable one yeah it was really good i mean this 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 conversation is already making my day anyway but that right there was just just incredible <laughs> so good yeah. it was so, so good. what would actually happen at the end because i got to find mm-hmm. out i was like what, what was the resolution how they get there it was like what it was like all right this is what we're gonna do were you able to hear the rest the rest of it well, they were like regulars that had come in a few times together where I was like, and if I remember correctly, this was years ago, but if I remember correctly, it was the kind of thing where it was like, it wasn't like, like, I think they had known each other a long time and had made the decision to start having an affair. And the conversation was like mostly about what is the expectation to have an affair that leads into them being together as a couple or like are we just fucking and not telling our partners wow uh yeah it was absolutely incredible it's crazy that you would have that at the bar like especially a bar you go to on a regular basis i mean it was it was the best thing well that's because that's because like some people don't think of servers and bartenders as people sometimes which 100 obviously again it goes back to this thing of like it's a blessing and a curse because like obviously i would love to be treated as a human at all times as i am a human but also it is nice to be treated as a a piece of art on the wall and just consume a little bit and that like total invisibility is so amazing i yeah i i i understand that i'll throw in very quickly when i was 22 i was working as a a hostess and a receptionist at a very hoity-toity restaurant in midtown i will not say what it is however we had people come in who were regulars who would come in on certain nights with their families and certain nights with their mistresses and the maitre d had to 
clue us in and just say, if this person comes back in, do not say it's nice to see you again. Do not say welcome back. Do not acknowledge that they've been here. Just Uh, say, hi, I'll take you to your table. And I was 22 years old, first job in New York. And I was like, oh my God, this is new. That's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. A lot, of, a lot of shady stuff going on in the, in some of these restaurants, I will say. Oh, yeah. And then one time I, for like six months, I bartended in a hotel, which like bartending in a hotel can be a really sick gig because some of them are union jobs and you can make an absolute killing. With benefits. Yeah, the whole nine. And I was, I... I was young, so I didn't need the benefits because I was still on my mom's health insurance. But the money, the money was like incredibly volatile because it was a new, this is not the point of the story, whatever. The point of the story is what didn't occur to me until I started working there was when you were bartending in a hotel, guys, imagine bartending in a bar where everyone has a bed upstairs. Like yeah, <laughs> the scummiest shit you have ever fucking seen in your life. Wedding ring, like active removal of wedding rings, groping i'm like the rooms that you gotta get in the elevator like you gotta go like you can't fuck here like it was people because people go to hotels and if they have like one night to kill they're like let me go down to the bar and see what i can make happen and truly people were there and it's like the reason you are here is to go back back upstairs not alone it was bleak like it was so (laughs) wild but it didn't even occur to me until it started happening and i was like damn it's like this every night Yeah, all these are reasons why I don't drink anymore. <laughs> Respect. You work in a bar long enough and you see the things, see these things over and over again. It's like, yeah, I don't. or sometimes that makes you need to drink, but. <laughs> and then that ultimately is the reason you have to stop. Yes. <laughs> welcome, welcome to being a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> so as as I've mentioned, we are huge fans of you. It was like, what what's next after like, just like, the TikTok stardom was like, what do you have up on the horizon? Because like, I, I want to see you keep going. And like, just so we can say, it was like, we had Jake on the podcast a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have there. Okay. So I, um, I have a, sh- I'm trying to think of what I'm allowed to talk about, what I'm not allowed to talk about. I have a show coming up in, October with do you guys know Marsha Belsky? Do you know her? She's oh, yeah. A, yeah. Marsha and I wrote a show that's going up at Union Hall on October 23rd. So if you're listening to this, grab a ticket to that. Um, and then yeah, just like writing stuff, auditioning for stuff, moving like a bunch of different stuff going on. I have a show I'm also developing, but um, in terms of like what's next that people can get a ticket for, that would be the October 23rd show at Union Hall. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And like, do you, are, so are you finding yourself getting new opportunities because of TikTok or like, where does that really, where does something like that lead you? That's an interesting question. I mean, yes, the short, the short answer is like, absolutely. Yes. Um, like, you know, like, obviously I'm a, uh, the goal is to keep making comedy and writing stuff and making stuff. And then also being a part of other people's stuff that they're making, whether that's like, TV or movies or, you know, live stuff. Um, So there's like that aspect. And certainly the exposure has helped me get uh, opportunities to do other stuff with other people. There's a lot of, I mean, be in terms of like, what does it mean to be a like quote on to use your words, like TikTok star, which to be frank, like I don't even, the thing about TikTok is like the numbers are so insane that like TikTok stars have like 
20 to 70 million followers. Like it's actually insane how many followers these people have, but like to, but like, it's interesting because there is a lot of, you know, a lot of the opportunities that come from TikTok. I get a lot of DMs being like, do you want to try our product and make a video about it? And it's like, I'm not really trying to do any of that stuff. I trust, I truly, I don't really try to think of myself as like a TikToker. I just use it as like, like you said earlier, it's like the platform that my stuff goes on. Same with Instagram. It's like, I'm making character videos. I'm doing comedy stuff and just using those platforms. And it's, it's really, it is really fun to play with the formatting of the different platforms to like see where you can take the comedy and what you can do with it. But yeah, I mean, to be frank, I just don't have a ton. I don't really know what's next because it it's not fully within my control. So I just kind of keep making stuff and see where it goes. Are you going to get back out on stage and perform and stuff? I know you were uh, doing UCB at a time before the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think the UCB, I mean, well, UCB is gone. But like, I think the, that kind of world is a little, I don't really, I improv takes so much time. Like improv, doing improv and being like an improviser like is like a full-time job that pays no money <laughs> but like yeah I did that for a long time and I'm like grateful for it and I think I learned a lot but I do think like I'm, I'm yes I'm gonna get back on stage but it's going to be more of the stuff I'm doing on camera but just formatted a little differently for stage and yeah that's probably gonna start up in the next like few weeks I just kind of was like finishing up because I was working full-time in a restaurant throughout the pandemic like helping them stay afloat and figuring all that out and so like as that is starting to wrap up and I kind of move over into doing just comedy full-time the stay there will be more time for stage but it's been it's definitely been an interesting experience because like when the world you know when the world like shut down I stopped being a comedian and started being a restaurant professional because that's, I needed to pay bills and keep health insurance. And also like there wasn't comedy and I really, the restaurant I work, I work, was working for at the time, like they are really good people. It's a really small, like labor of love, like kind of like endeavor. And I wanted to help them succeed and help them stay afloat. And now that, not that by any means this pandemic is over, but it's certainly a much less volatile time than it was for restaurants like a year half ago it's kind of like i'm transitioning away from doing all that and being more just comedy full-time um also in this last year you know since the pandemic we've seen kind of you know new social movements and some older social movements that have kind of gone uh, gotten more steam um because of the conditions mm -hmm. and it's something you know you are someone who's fairly outspoken and how has that like influenced your work over this last year and like what has that kind of meant to you um you know, it's like, I, I try to, I try to like stay, keep, stay abreast of everything that's happening and, you know, keep myself as informed as possible. And there are certain movements and certain stuff going on that it's like, let me use my, because I'm fortunate enough to have like somewhat of a platform now that I'm like, okay, I can use this platform to like boost stuff, right? Like, I don't think it's my place to make comedy about the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, that's not something I'm going to make comedy about, probably, because like, I don't really that, but I will use my platform to promote it and talk about it and, you know, give it and give the, the comedians who are making comedy about it, you know, like, in a well, in a great way, promote their stuff and use my platform for that stuff. And then the stuff that I do think I am a little bit more in a position to make comedy about, I will make comedy about, right? So it's like restaurant workers' rights, vaccinate, like things that are a little bit more like involved in my own experience, like I will make comedy about if the idea comes and if the inspiration comes. 
but then also making sure that because I do have somewhat of a platform now, I'm able to use that to push out other people's voices, other like information, things like that. Cool. Yeah. We all, we all really loved the, uh, the vaccination video of, uh, not everyone did, but thank you. <laughs> uh, well, those who, you know, you, that, that's a, now, you know, which, which side people are on. <laughs> you know. I know it's a weird, exp- it's like a very weird experience, you know, but, um, it's, it's the folks that didn't like it. What were they, what were they saying? Um, you know, I mean like, well, first there's, I mean, y- there was the response of like the true anti-vaxxer anti like true misinformation shit of like vaccines aren't real or like the vaccines don't work or they make you infertile like all this bullshit that's not true and then there were the you know there is like the the contingent of thought that we shouldn't be making fun of people who don't get vaccinated because and like well, also there, like, there's, you get a lot of people who are like, well, not everyone can get vaccinated. And it's like, well, obviously I know that. And I'm not talking about those people. This is like a hyperbole for the point of comedy to an extent, but, and then some people, and I do think there's somewhat, there is some validity to the argument of like, you know, you're not going to convince people to get vaccinated by making fun of them. That's not exactly the most effective, like technique is like bullying. And it's like, I hear that. And that is like probably helpful feedback for me to hear. But at the same time, I also don't know that like I thought my video was going to make anyone get vaccinated. It was going to help. I was like commiserating with people who are also feeling absolutely hopeless because people aren't getting vaccinated. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's so there it was a conversation to be had and like trust me, people had it in the comments. But yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jake, we want to get to a game, but I do have to ask you one thing, please. Because I listen to you on the podcast, harmonizing during Happy Birthday. I know you don't like it. Tell our listeners why you don't like it. <laughs> okay, I mean, well, now I know what podcast you listen to, but it's just like <laughs> I just think that harmonizing during Happy Birthday, and like I said this on that podcast, it's like, and also for those listening, it's Eric Williams. Um, that's a gay ass podcast. You should listen Correct. to it. He's a very great interview. It's a great podcast. I just feel that harmonizing during happy birthday is fucking annoying (laughs) like and here's the thing i said in that interview i'm like i i understand that like there is an argument that i am being the asshole here because it's harmless but also it's like you don't this is not a moment for you to perform your skill or your expertise like an a, a birthday is one of the like i in my birthday is a, like a societal agreement to let everyone once a year have a somewhat narcissistic experience. Like we allow every person on birth to like have a thing that is like a little bit about them and celebrating them. And obviously people take it too far and are like monsters about their birthday. But I think like the idea of having a nice birthday with your loved ones or a nice, like a nice dinner or a nice party to celebrate you and your life, whatever that means is like gorgeous. And it should be focused on the person. So it's like, for you to then just cut in like two steps above and harmonize. It's like, okay, Dylan, we get it. You like, you think like, I don't know. It just never, it's never like, I don't, I've never been like, can you honestly imagine anyone ever being like, you know, it was just so nice when that harmony came in on happy birthday. Like it made me feel so loved. It's like, no, they were like, can Dylan shut the fuck up? You know what I mean? I don't know. That's how I feel every time someone harmonizes on happy birthday. And I understand that it is a small and not that significant 
inconvenience, um, but it does fill me with rage that courses into my bone marrow. <laughs> Thank you for that. The, the, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, up until listening to like you talk about that briefly on that podcast, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do that. And now that you said it, I'm like, oh, I'll be looking for that every time I hear it. Happy birthday, baby. Yeah. yeah, you got to call that <laughs> shit out. You got to. All right. Well, I think uh, I think it's time to get into our game. How about that, George? Absolutely. So here at the Know Your Roles podcast, what we like to do is we like to take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other, and we try to make some connection to them. And for your episode, we're going to be talking about celebrity couples and party games. Uh, we each do okay, five. Great. I go first, Dave goes second, and you being our distinguished guest will go last. Uh, my first celebrity couple and party game is uh, I'm going to talk about Harrison Ford and Calista Flockhart. I don't know. They've been together since 2002. Like that's almost 20 years of uh, these these two uh, these two being together, and they're still together, which is the party game I have for them. Is they're kind of like they're like Monopoly. It's like it's just still going. People are still enjoying this this content. So, Harrison Ford and Calista Flockhart are like Monopoly. Damn, <laughs> yeah, they are still going somehow. Uh, still going. Uh, all right, my first one is a celebrity couple that I think like might be the most beautiful people on the planet, and that's uh, Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. <laughs> um, and like I can't, I in my mind I cannot picture either one of them not dressed to like the nines, you know, and like totally done up and like on a red carpet somewhere and just looking like very serious, but but very beautiful. Um, and that's why as a party game, their murder mystery game, because I've never played it, but it seems fun to like dress up. And, but it's kind of like, I, I could also see it being like, it's kind of like posh, you know? So like, uh, yeah. Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem are the murder mystery game of party games. Okay. So I misunderstood the email and I thought I was being given couples and then coming up with the game that they were. So I did not prepare any, but, um, and that's my fault for having low reading comprehension. You're totally um, right. So I'm coming up with these on the fly. Um, and the first one, okay, so the first couple that came to mind for me was Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox because we've been talking about them a lot at work. And to me, they are like, um, okay, so to me, they are the kind of people that like if you were at a party with them, like a larger party, they would have this quiet, sexy, but very chaotic energy where it's like they would be in the corner and you would sort of be like, is everything happening over there? Like, okay, like, is it going to spill out into the rest of the party? Like what's sort of like happening there? Like, and it ultimately would be fine because like everyone's mature and I think normal, but like you would just be like a little, like they are so hot, it would like put you at ease. So in my mind, that's like if people at a party were playing spin the bottle in the corner, like if there was just like six people playing spin the bottle in the corner of a normal party, that would feel crazy. And that's them to me. Nice. Yeah. Okay, great. That that's a fight you want to overhear for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. George. All right, so my next couple, they were a couple only for a handful of years, but they're they were a power couple when they were a couple and uh whenever this one actor is in stuff, it's must see TV. And uh Sari Paulson and Cherry Jones were a couple from 2004 to 2009. Shout out to Nan Pierce. Anybody who listens to the show, they know that I'm a huge Succession fan. And Cherry Jones in the three episodes that she was on, amazing. And Sarah Paulson was Marsha Clark. And everybody else knows that I'm an OJ Simpson fan. Anyway, OJ Simpson content, that is, listeners. OJ Simpson content. <laughs> okay. But being, being that relationship was, was, was short, but they're still cool. They are the Connect Four of uh, party games. Nice. <laughs> Cherry Jones and Sarah Paulson. Um, 
All right. My next one is one of my favorite couples of all time. And I think that they would be super fun to hang out with. And that's Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka. And uh, uh, one of the reasons I love them is because they're foodies. Like David Burka was a chef and they, they go on like food network shows, like all the time and shit. And they like judge competitions. And that's why as a party game, they are a mystery taste test which is played on a lot of those food competition shows where you're like blindfolded and you have to like touch and smell the things and guess what it is. And you're like sticking your finger into mayonnaise and stuff, which that, that could be fun. Right. So uh, Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, the mystery taste test. Okay. Gorgeous. Okay. So my, my next couple is Harry and Megan, like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And I think, so obviously the, the system is against them. The system was against them. Like royally, the world was pitted against like making them work. Um, it was like impractical for the both of them to get married, and yet they did it. And to me, like that is Dungeons and Dragons, just like an unbelievably impractical, long-lasting game that you have to absolutely love passionately to make work. Um, so that's where I got with them. Very good. <laughs> Got to be committed. All right, my next couple is uh, she is 91 years old and still alive today. He passed away in 2008. They were together for 50 years, and that is Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman. Joanne Woodward said on Wax, he's very good looking and very sexy and all those things. But all that goes out the window, and what is finally left is he can make somebody laugh. That was what their relationship, they were just two people who were just kind of kicking it. So for me, their longevity, the fact that they're like, they were so amazing and they're like, both um, tremendous actors in, in their own right, All About Eve, shout out. She won the Oscar for that. They are chess. So Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman are the chess of party games. George's chess a party game? What parties are you sure. going to? 600 AD. <laughs> I go to a lot of cool parties. I'm all over the place. <laughs> clearly, clearly. You're very cool, George. We all think you're very cool. George, George is just playing chess in the corner. To- <laughs> You guys are out here playing checkers. I'm out here playing <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. My next one uh, is a couple. They are Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, which they are two basketball players for the WNBA's Chicago Sky. And I think it's really interesting whenever couples who live together and also work together and not only only do they work together, they play a team sport together. Uh, so I always think that that's like, you know, that's, that's a lot of commitment uh, being together all the time. And also communication is key. And that is why as a game, they're charades. You got to play it with a couple and you got to be communicating. And that nonverbal communication is important when you're in a basketball floor. I imagine they have to do that too. So Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley are the charades party games. I love that. Okay, next I have uh, Benifer, round one. So early 2000s (laughs) Benifer. Benifer, round one. They were like the biggest couple in the world. They were stars. So the media was obsessed with them. And the acute, uh, intense pressure of that to me is flip cup. All eyes on you constantly. The second you land one cup, it has to go again. It is just constant pressure constant duress until someone breaks yeah i like that (laughs) george all right so for my next uh celebrity couple i don't know if they're celebrities but i find them amusing and they're my favorite people on tv right now and that's jill and rose and molly quarum they're on espn uh one is on the 
first take from 10 to 12. The other one has Jalen Jacoby. I like the fact that they don't address each other when they when they're on different shows. But again, I do enjoy their their social media presence, which is why I'm going to name them after my favorite party game, which is Uno. Jalen Rose and Molly Quirm Rose are the Uno of party games. Awesome. Um, all right. My next one is a couple that uh, recently like stepped out together and kind of shocked Twitter. And that is Adele and Rich Paul. Um, and if you don't know who Rich Paul is, he is a guy that was a young man from Cleveland, Ohio, who started selling throwback jerseys out of the trunk of his car and and worked his way up to be LeBron James's per, like worked his way into LeBron James's inner circle and became an agent and then started his own agency that's now like the most successful agency in the world. Uh, and he showed up courtside at a basketball game with Adele. Everyone lost their fucking mind. And that's why as a party game, they are who am I, which is the what I could find for what that game is called, where you have like a famous person on a card and you put it on your head and celebrity celebrity. There you go. Um, and uh, yeah, you have to ask questions. And I have a lot of questions about that, that relationship. <laughs> seems cool. seems great. But a lot of questions, a lot, lot of questions. OK, my next couple is Benefer round two. <laughs> nice. And nice. for Benefer, Benefer round two is all they are in total control. They are strategic. They, they are looking at things from above and they know what they're doing. So Benefer round two is risk. <laughs> nice. Strategy. Yes. Yeah. Well, you hope that like they when they're doing it the second time that like they learn some things. Well, it's also been 20 years. They are they know how the industry they have it. It's a totally yeah. different game, completely yeah. different game. <laughs> yeah. George. For my final couple, uh, I'm just going to talk about a certain part of their relationship because I didn't know that their relationship ended in 2015. I thought they were still going strong, that that was a thing that was like that was just happening. And I'm talking about Kermit and Miss Piggy. Muppets Takes Manhattan is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's incredible. It's a movie, the movie they get married in for me. If I'm going to compare it to a game, I'm going to compare it to my favorite game as a kid, which is Shoots and ladders the sesame street edition nice. dave <laughs> awesome uh i also don't think i knew that they were not together yeah it was i do a lot of research for these things <laughs> <laughs> um all right my last couple is they they can only be described as a couple who runs shit and they are the power couple of music and pop culture and that's jay-z and beyonce um and you know like i said they they definitely they are the top of like the hip-hop and r&b world and really like the pop culture celebrity world uh but they're really they're just like all other you know billionaires or close to billionaires and they're all about that money and they are capitalist af that's why they are monopoly but not monopoly monopoly deal which is like a card game version of Monopoly, which is actually extremely fun. And don't get me wrong, I love both Jay-Z and Beyonce. And uh, but that's why they're their Monopoly deal. Same shit, but different. Okay, my final couple is um okay, my final couple is Goldie Hahn and Kurt Reynolds. And they to me are just the most like everyone likes them. It seems like they are having a great time. 
No one's mad. No one's stressed. Like, it just seems like they are having a lovely time. And to me, that's go fish. Just like, it's fine. It's cute. No stress. Everyone knows it. Everyone loves it. And it's not in your face. It's just there. And like, everyone's happy about it. Fantastic. I think we did it. The pressure of doing that on the fly really was intense, but it was good for me. I'm glad it happened that way. (laughs) I'm really glad it happened that way. You knocked it out of the park. Thank you. So, uh, Jake, tell us again uh, the show that you have with Marsha. That's October 23rd at Union Hall. October 23rd at Union Hall with Marsha Belsky. I think tickets will go on sale soon. So just pay attention on my social media accounts and I will post about it as soon as they do. Cool. And tell everybody like where we can find you, your your accounts and your your website and everything. Totally. So yeah, you can just follow me on Instagram um, and TikTok uh, at Jake W. Cornell. Um, Twitter as well. I don't use it as much, but when I do, it's good. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much it for me right now. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the very last thing we'll ask you is, is there anything that you would tell our listeners that you are enjoying right now? Could be music, a book, TV, film. I am... I am reading the House of Gucci book right now. That is that the movie is based on, the uh, impending Lady Gaga movie is based on. And it is the first, so like the first like 50 pages are really dense because it's like all of the history of how like Gucci happened. And now I'm getting into the like story of what the book is about, which is like this murder. And it is, it's so, I've never had this experience of what reading a book I, maybe I have had this before, but this is like the most intense version of it. I'm reading a book where I know what the cast is of the movie, but I haven't seen the movie yet. So I'm picturing this cast playing it out. And I also have seen the trailer. So I know like the tone of it. So it's like, yeah, I'm like picturing, I'm like take, I'm mapping what I experienced in the trailer onto this book as I read it. And it is so fun. Um, so I highly recommend doing that. Watch the House of Gucci trailer and then go read the book before the movie comes out. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we both watched a trailer and got got very excited. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for thanks for having me, guys. This was really fun. Yeah, it was lovely to meet you, and we really appreciate you taking uh, taking some time to chat with us. Oh my god, of course. Well, we wish you all the luck in the world. Um, Very excited for the show with Marsha in October. That sounds phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you. I'm really excited. Yeah, she's so funny. She's unreal. Truly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, have a good one, guys. Thanks so much. All right, bud. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye, Jake. All right. That was great. Thank you again to Jake Cornell. Follow Jake on all your favorite socials at Jake W. Cornell and www.jakecornell.com. And don't miss Jake and Marsha Belsky at Union Hall in Brooklyn on October 23rd. And now we're going to go into Last Call, where we talk about things we're looking forward to and what we got coming up on the horizon. George, what do you got going on? What are you looking at? So the last episode of a docu series that I'm watching on HBO airs this Sunday is called a hundred foot wave. And it's about these, these, these surfers who were a quest to like find like the largest like wave in in the, uh, in the world. Uh, and I have been enjoying it. It is very, very anxiety inducing because like, a I'm not a strong swimmer, so the ocean I find to be very, very terrifying. And seeing these people like uh, either get wrecked on waves or like like excel while surfing is is exhilarating. So I've been thoroughly enjoying it. The last episodes this week, um, uh, it is gnarly. <laughs> it's bizarre, like because I mean, like 
one of the guys is like when you're ever in your wreck on a surfboard and when it is like large waves, it's like being in a car accident that lasts two minutes long. Yeah. And they show people underwater and I'm just like, oh my God, it's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. So shout out to 100 foot wave. And I heard this week they got picked up for a season two. So the series is awesome. It's awesome. Dave, what about you? Awesome. I haven't seen it. Um, but that's a ringing endorsement, especially because you're someone who I know uh, is not a beach person. Not a beach person. And I can't stand the ocean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I wouldn't, I was surprised to even hear that you were, you were watching that. It's awesome. But yeah, that sounds good. Uh, all right. I just have a couple of very quick things. One is uh, Reservation Dogs. Res Dogs has uh, started on, on FX, the Sterling Harjo series, executive produced by Taika Watiti. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it so far. It's been three episodes. It's on Hulu, but it's an FX show. So, you know, they have a contract with Hulu. Um, it's very funny. Uh, it's also like there's a character named Alora Dannon. And like for any 80s, 90s babies, like the character from Willow. Um, sure, yeah, yeah, no, I know. And like, yeah, I know, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying it out loud. And, and like they reference it on every episode. And like she says it to someone and, and somebody's like, and I'm mad Mardigan. And like, I just, that's gold. Um, also, a uh, new season of The Challenge started. There's been two episodes. Hillary and I haven't watched the second one yet. We're, we're going to watch that probably soon after I get off this call. It is on pause right now, Dave. It's, what do you oh, at, at the Gordon House. Oh, oh, it's on pause. You paused it yeah. to do this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pause to do the podcast. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Uh, a lot of new faces, which is very, which is very fun and exciting. Um, also, the very last thing, very quickly, is there was this new series from Draymond Green, basketball player Draymond Green, Golden State Warrior, multiple champion, um, uh, through. Bleacher Report, and it's called Chips, and it's like him interviewing people. And the first one was him and Kevin Durant. And like, you know, if you don't know a tiny bit of backstory, they played together in Gold State, and like they had a very public argument courtside during a game that like got blown out of fucking proportion by the media and other people. And like people are like, that's why Kevin Durant left. And so it's really interesting. They they actually like confront that head on. I watched half of it before we did this and I'm really excited to watch the the end of it. Something that I didn't mention when we were talking about uh, the Malice at the Palace documentary, but I just love to see and hear athletes speaking frankly about stuff. And it's not something that like I or you, George, grew up with. Like no athletes generally very cagey. Um, they have to project a certain image and like, you know, if it, it's, it's just, it's just a very different reality. And like, it's just so great to hear them speaking about shit and uh, you know, using the language that they would use with each other. It's just very cool. So yeah. Chips by Dr from Draymond Green on Bleacher Report. Awesome. I, I actually watched it uh, today. It's cool, right? been up for a while uh yeah yeah it's really like, good it was like impressive of how good an interview it was i was actually taken aback how, how how good it was and usually like something like this happens like 20 years after the fact they're talking about events from three years ago um uh which yeah. is very rare I, I thoroughly enjoyed it there's some things that that was said i was just like yeah i mean draymond green blamed his fucking coach and gm and he still plays he for them. them he dropped the bus on them this morning <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like you still play for them. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, it's incredible. It's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I just love the two of them together. They're like, yeah. So I like, I think they fucked it up. And Kevin Durant's like, yeah, 
I think so too. <laughs> That's great. And you would have never got that from like Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or Draymond being Draymond. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for me. And now we're going to check in with producer Mary Bess, our favorite regular for MB's booth. Take it away, Mary Bess. Thanks, guys. So as you know, uh, we're doing a little little good news, bad news um, in the segment. Um, unfortunately, I do have a little bit of bad news this week. As we all know, it's been a hard week. Uh, the massive earthquake in Haiti on Saturday left over 1,300 people dead, and it's happening in the midst of ongoing humanitarian crisis and political upheaval uh, from the July 7th assassination of President Jovenel Moise. Additionally, the terror unfolding in Afghanistan is heartbreaking as the Taliban moves to take total control of the region and the U.S. struggles to offer aid after our military withdrawal opened the floodgates to this horrifying regime. It's an especially scary time for the women and children of Afghanistan, as women are already being struck from the pages of society, literally, as one of the first things the Taliban did was destroy images of women in public spaces. I don't have enough time (laughs) to go into every detail of how and why the people of Haiti and Afghanistan are worthy of our time and attention, but we at Know Your Roles encourage our listeners to stay abreast to the ongoing strife unfolding in these areas. If you'd like to donate to help the people of Haiti, please look to mutual aid funds on the ground offering direct support and medical supplies and care like Health Equity International and FOCAL Haiti Relief, which is channeling funds to smallholder farmers associations, grassroots women's organizations, and small local ethical enterprises. If you'd like to support the citizens of Afghanistan, you can donate airline miles to refugees and asylum seekers through milesformigrants.org, and that is the number four, milesformigrants.org. You can also donate to organizations like Women for Afghan Women, a grassroots organization promoting women's rights and providing protection for women and children in Afghanistan and New York. And you can find them at womenforafghanwomen.org. And we'll make sure to list these sources in the episode description this week. And now for some good news this week, which I'm happy to bring you considering it has been a heavy week for all of us. Uh, Paper Crane Productions, a New York-based experimental theater company established in 2015, had its return performance live at the Crane Theater in Manhattan last night. Uh, Paper Crane, supported by Frigid NYC, provides a platform for emerging artists from all backgrounds and all mediums to develop risk-taking new work in a safe space where ticket sales benefit different charities from the Trevor Project to Planned Parenthood, Rain, and others. If you're able, please consider supporting this incredible group and learn more about the work they're doing at Paper Crane. That's P-A-P-E-R-K-R-A-I-N-E dot com. Great. Thank you so much, Mary Bess, for all of that. Thank you, Mary Bess. You're welcome, guys. It's my pleasure. So, folks, fans of the show, we got to give you guys a name. We're going to call you KYRs for right now. Check our socials for our next episode, which is going to be Released September 3rd, because we're going to have a new guest, brand new game, and it's going to be dope. Dave. All right. We're going to go ahead and finish out this show. Thank you very much to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Bess. Thank you to our designer, Amanda Zeller, Alan Kid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for our theme song. Please, everybody, rate, review, and subscribe to Know Your Roles. It really helps us out. And everybody, take care and be safe. And I'm going to say get vaccinated so you can go to bars and restaurants because if you because you can't right now. So 
wear your mask over your fucking nose. Thank you. And get your cards ready. Like have them ready like when you come up to the bar. When you come up. Like act like you've been here before. Exactly. Louise, it's a whole mess this week. <laughs> Thank you guys. All right. We're out. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. You know the road, all the rough stuff.